Welcome to another episode of the Triple Dose Podcast. I'm Tori and I'm here with my co-hosts and brothers, Wesley and Wise. Thank y'all so much for listening. Please be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Triple Dose Pod. Now let's get into the show. All right, y'all, we are back, back again for another one. So, you know, we have to do our check in. What's been going on and what's up with y'all? Well, it's been a great week. It's been a um, nice time. We've had, I had my brother and sister here with me and it's Juneteenth weekend and um, I'm just enjoying my summer and I have no complaints. That's good. That's good. Yeah, it has been nice to hang out with you guys here. In Georgia, it is hot. Okay, we spent two days out, kind of in the sun, out and about, and I was catching up with your boy, getting a little sleepy. Um, but it's been it's been pretty good, pretty good over here. What about you, Tori? You know, I don't have any complaints either. It's been pretty good. I think, um, like I said, been enjoying the weekend, being able to come, you know, to Atlanta and visit. But now I'm just getting sad because I got to go back to reality. And I don't want to face it, but, but, you know, life got to go on. So, um, just, you know, going to try to chill and savor the day. And then, you know, like you, like I said, get back to reality, but no complaints over here. (laughs) Well, it has been a very busy week and a lot of different things going on. So let's go ahead and get to the first dose. Um, so first I wanted to talk about, you know, this has been setting social media ablaze the past week or so. And, um, you know, I just wanted to kind of shift and think about a different perspective because, you know, everybody's talking about this whole situation with, you know, reality, reality TV star, um, Suki Anna, who was on, um, I think it was, was it Love and Hip Hop Miami? I think, um, and then she's also, she raps and she's got a very big personality and we had spoken about her before, I believe on a show, uh, and about how she's, you know, a little risque, you know, um, she is very hypersexual, you know, things like that. But, you know, I kind of have seen her as like a persona per se. Why don't you explain what happened first? Well, I was going to get into that. (laughs) So, yeah. So, basically, um, we know her from that. We've talked hard in the past about her personality and being a big personality, hypersexual, and things of that nature. Well, this past week or so, a couple of incidents have happened involving her. One being the fact that she was on um, Candy Candy Burris' talk show, or she does on YouTube called Candy Coded. Um, nights and she it's, it's another show where they talk about a lot of sexual type things or whatever and just a little, little, little bit more risky things she's on that show and one of the other co-hosts this is dj a1 um a clips had went viral of him just kind of being really a uh, kind of aggressive with her in a sexual manner like just really kind of flirtatious heavily but she really wasn't giving it back as much you know and that is part of her personality that she does kind of like flirt a lot and she talks a lot of stuff but it's just like you know talking or whatever um and so during the clip he is talking about how like he he shows her a picture of his penis on his phone and wanted her to like look at it and rate it um and then on another part of the clip that went viral 
um, he goes on to talk about how he wants to <laughs> basically do things with her <laughs> sexually. And it's just kind of like cringy because she's, again, not really giving him much back. It's just, it's just weird. He's really extra with it. Then another clip surfaces of, of her at an event. Um, she's like sitting at the table, a panel of people, and she's the only female on the panel. And um, the rapper uh, YK Osiris um, comes up and like basically like kisses her on the mouth. Now, from what I understand, they were having like conversations before this, um, commentary back and forth before this. But then at one point, he then goes and um, grabs her and like turns her head towards him to kiss her. Like he forcibly grabs her. You can see him grip her chin and just move it twice in the clip and she's kind of looking like surprised but like almost like she don't know what to do and you know a lot of times when people are in those situations they don't really know how to respond and sometimes they might laugh or they might smile but that doesn't mean that they're enjoying it or welcoming it and uh, it kind of set the media blaze because you had one group of people saying oh I don't see what the big deal is you know this is what she talked about she do she does this all day um y'all making a big deal out of it and there's the other part of the internet who's saying like you that that's like people are being you know assaulting her sexually assaulting her or being predatory a predator you know towards her um because of her persona and who she is so um I first I guess I'll get your thoughts on that how what did y'all like what was your response to seeing it um so when it comes to the situation with she was on the candy's podcast or whatever um I actually didn't even watch the clip um because I have really bad secondhand embarrassment so I could read the commentary I saw people saying I knew it was gonna happen and I was just like I'm not I don't want to watch this um, the type of stuff just makes me uncomfortable. So I, I, I know what happened, um, but I did not actually watch the clip. I think that um, with that situation, even the situation with YK Osiris, I think people have a, they don't have, I think all people, not even just celebrities, but like because of the internet age, I think people just don't know how to separate what's real and what is not. Um, and I think when, when that is the case, you tend to do things that you maybe would think twice about in another situation or scenario or circumstance. And I think that um, when it comes to celebrity and social media, like we need to be more careful about not taking that second guess, you know, like let's think twice about before we do things or even say things because these type of situations end up ha- coming, coming out and happening. I did watch the well. I didn't watch the entire interview with on the Candy Coated Live show. Um, I've watched quite a few episodes of it because I do like Candy Burris, um, and sometimes they have interesting, interesting conversations. You know, um, they're about dating, relationships, sex does come up often, quite often. But DJ A One always rubs me wrong way, the wrong way. Just the way he talks about women, the way he talks about sex. Um, I'm not surprised at his him doing that. Nothing that he did surprised me because it's one brand for him in terms of at least with this show. Um, so that didn't that didn't surprise me at all. I think showing someone your picture unsolicited is definitely wrong. Um, and he definitely shouldn't have done, even though the context of the show and the conversations they were having was about the male member. <laughs> um, I just think that 
he has a very disrespectful way that he presents himself when it comes to women. My thing is, I really want to talk about is the uh, lack of nuance with these conversations. And I think it'd be, it's difficult to have nuanced conversations because people are so emotional. Um, and I get it. And I understand why we, we should be emotional about these things. Kind of like Tori, you alluded to in Wise, Sukiana does have this persona. And I, I truly believe that's just what it is, a persona. For the most part, I don't I don't believe she's this way all the time or most of the time. I think that's how she is as an entertainer. That was her way of getting popular, getting famous, making her money. And she plays into this hyperbolic sexual being in order to make statements and make her money. So this is a woman who has had an OnlyFans. This is a woman who. Um, does have very sexual lyrics. This is a woman who uh, might be, one might consider dresses provocatively, and it's gotten, it's made her a millionaire, okay? That said, it absolutely gives no one the right <laughs> to touch her, put their lips on her, hands on her, or speak to her in a suggestive way because that's who you think she is. And I feel like, a lot of folks just have a difficult time understanding that. And you had men and women both saying things like she shouldn't be surprised based upon what she talks about, what she raps about, kind of what she does. And I just want people, I don't know, to kind of look at it from, look at it music as an art form. I feel like when it comes to rap music, hip hop music, it's one of the genres where people expect what you are talking about to be true to your life. And I don't know if that's fair. Um, We see how rappers are convicted of crimes, violent crimes, gang-related crimes due to the rap music. We see how people are looked down upon. If you rap about hood stuff, we rap about certain things and they find out, oh, that's what is in your life. They look down upon you. So I think part of it is in in our culture, for some reason, there's this a thought process that if you're a rapper, that whatever you're talking about has to be 100% true to your life. And unfortunately, when um, people have, since people have that thought process, uh, they attribute that they can just talk to Sukiyana or put their hands on her, and you just can't do it. You can't do it. I think just speaking to what you said, I agree. I think that there are a lot of people who have difficulty separating what's reality and what's the art form of, you know, creating the music aspect. I think what's unique about hip hop or rap is that, you know, the origins of it was, you know, young black men from certain areas talking about their lived experience. Like that's how it started. Um, And I think that over the decades, um, hip hop has become like a real, like the commercial music genre right now. And I think that people have not shifted their mindset from this is just an arm of capitalism in the music industry and people are doing it to make money. They're do- So because they're using this as an opportunity to fund their lives, they're going to be hyperbolic. They're going to say things that and do things in their music videos and promote things that they might not have actually ever did or ever have any intentions to do. So I think, again, we kind of have to grow, you know, with our and, and think with our mature minds 
you know, because, you know, we, you know, you got futures out here, people who talking about doing drugs and doing these things and, you know, being a pimp and doing all that stuff when that's not really what their life is like. And then you have some who, who do rap about things and they, they are doing them. So I think, you know, we kind of just have to not espouse certain things to certain people based off what they talk about in their music. You don't know them personally, so you can't just make those judgments, you know? Yeah, pretty much, you know, I'm on the same page. I think another thing I just wanted to say and add is just the fact that I think that we have to stop. Um, and I, I'm saying we as a culture, as a society, um, <laughs> we have this this pattern in history of um, deciding who you think deserves protection, deciding who you think deserves grace and, and things like that. And I'm just, you know, that's kind of where I'm like, irritated about is the fact that because of her persona or whatever you know that she puts out there is that there is a whole group of people who are like she basically deserves this (laughs) or what's the big deal um and it's like you know you can't say oh protect the black woman or protect women or whatever but you only gonna protect the ones who you deem you know whatever moral compass you have that you think should be protected (laughs) like it, it that's where it just kind of like gets to me where I'm just like, you cannot pick and choose who you think deserves protection. We're going to protect or we're not. We're going to res- like, you know, but that goes back to what people value, what they, res- who they choose to respect and things of that nature. But the parallel, <laughs> the parallel, um, you know, uh, the parallel experience or that we saw as well in this in social media play out that there was another young lady who the, the, a lot of a group of men and women that went off up for for being gorgeous and working a hard living, making a hard living without being sexual or going to OnlyFans and things like that because she just had a regular, regular, regular job at Home Depot, and they were all up and her, up and her, but they still were sexualizing her. <laughs> They were still um, harassing her to the point where she had to like quit her job and find another job, like because that there was still a level of people out there who, you know, were sexualizing her, harassing her, harassing her place of employment when she didn't do anything. She literally just, I guess, posted a picture of herself at her job, and they were like just trolls and people just going in. <laughs> like so, it's like no matter what women do. Whether you're provocative, whether you dress and you work in a regular job, it's always gonna be this portion of people who just don't even see you as a person, as a human being, you know. So anyway, all in all, I just I saw that situation go and play out, and I was just like, this is just crazy. And I just would like people to just, you know, if we're gonna protect, let's let's protect, no matter what, across the board. <laughs> So switching gears a bit, I wanted to talk a little bit about y'all auntie and uncle who down to the social media arguing and fighting, okay? So Anita Baker um, is on tour, and she has, like, these spot dates here and there, and basically um, on her tour, um, you know, the great um, Babyface is her opener, her support, as she called her, her support uh performing and um a few weeks ago or maybe a month or so ago they had a show and unfortunately anita baker needed to cut babyface's um set 
And so he went to social media and apologized to his fans to let them know that he would not be um, performing. He um, just said that Anita had cut it. We really didn't know why, like what, what was the background of it. And then I think we later on found out there was an issue with things didn't start on time. Um, and so in order for her to do her entire show, she needed to cut his set. And of course, some people felt like, well, some people might have went to this show to see Babyface and maybe Anita could have cut some of her songs. He could at least do two songs or something. But um, that, that's kind of how it kind of started. So then, randomly, a uh, couple of this last week or so, we started seeing these uh, tweets from Anita Baker. Now, everybody knows that with the whole situation with Twitter where some folks are verified and some folks are not verified anymore, um, initially, a lot of people were not sure if this was really her t- tweeting or if it was someone else. But there were a lot of things that she kind of, well, not kind of, there were a lot of things that she said. Um, and I, I'm not going to read them all. I'm going to kind of give you all a, a, um, a bridged version of what she kind of said. So she talked about some bullying that was happening from Babyface's fans. She talked about how um, Babyface, he did mission Beyonce, how you don't like Beyonce. Uh, she just talked about how she was tired of being bullied by Babyface's fans and how she's been enduring the cyberbullying silently, um, the verbal abuse from um, this, uh, from his fans, threats of violence from his fan base. Um, and so she basically said, I'll read this one. She says, after silently enduring cyberbullying, verbal abuse, and threats of violence from the fan base of our special guest, who's Babyface, and she put special guest slash support act, in the interest of personal safety, I will continue the songstress tour alone. Appropriate refunds will be made. Blessings, Anita Baker, XO. And then, of course, later on, Babyface made a tweet. More um, people thought he was passive aggressive in his tweet, but basically um, explaining the same situation. He's not going to be in the tour. He apologized for it. And, you know, people are surprised that our aunties and uncles in their 60s, I think Babyface might be his 62, uh, are in their 60s down to the Twitter, you know, having these subliminal verbal spats with each other. So I guess my question is, well, one, unfortunately, we've heard before that Edith Baker hasn't been, and my sense is true, we've heard that she's might have been some difficult, she's not the, the best person to work with, I would say. That's what the streets have been saying. But uh, what were your reactions to... Anita Baker especially, um, taking him off the tour based on what his fans had done or said. Um, I don't think she took him off the tour based off of what the what she, I think that's a cover up. Um, I think they already have had, they was going, it was on shaky ground. Um, first of all, when it when it first started a couple of weeks ago, and Babyface had said that you know the tour had or that specific show he wasn't going to be performing that because of whatever whatever. Um, that's when a lot of people, other celebrities, was coming and, and you know people were fans were sharing their stories about Miss Anita Baker and their experiences with her not being the most positive. Um, and then um, I think that probably did you know because we know how social media is and the fans and the stands online they do get a little bit incredulous. And they can be a little bit doing too much sometimes. So I feel like that probably did fuel some 
hate her way for sure. Um, when she started tweeting the other day, I honestly thought she was hacked because, like you mentioned, Twitter Elon Musk then took the verification stuff away, so you don't really always know if it's the actual person or not. And then when I realized that it was her actual profile, I was like, well, maybe she was hacked. And this was because she was the she was the the grammar, the commas. Um, the spelling, she was fighting for her life. I'm sorry. So I, I honestly thought she was hacked by somebody because I'm like, the spelling, the commas, it was semicolons and dashes and stuff in there in the wrong place. And I was just like, girl, this, this can't be right. But apparently it was actually her. Um, Coming to find out, they actually had a previous, so they did a tour together in the past, some years ago, and there was a lawsuit where Babyface sued her because of some canceled dates and he didn't get the money that he was supposed to get. So there was already some kind of beefage between them. So I just feel like all of that was just kind of compiled upon. And I think she made the best decision by just ending the tour. I mean, who wants to be on a tour where you contentious with people? And I just don't want to do all of that. Now she did mention, and I don't know if this is true. Okay. But she was alleging that there was, um, uh, a man of a particular hue, a different hue of us who was, you know, working behind the scenes, kind of trying to sow discord, you know, amongst the community. I don't know. That's that's her claim. But I don't blame her. I just, I don't. Who I, I don't know. I don't, if I was babyface, I wouldn't want to go back. I mean, who? I just, I like to do things in peace and harmony out. The contentionness, I just can't, I can't do it. So I don't blame her. Just, just do your own thing, babyface. Well, you know, when I um, heard about the Swedes, I thought she was hacked as well. I was like, this can't be her. I, it just didn't seem right. But, I, you know, then I was corrected. It was her. What I will say is, though, um, is that Babyface, he didn't appear to come directly for her. He kind of... <laughs> It's kind of like indirectly or whatever. Um, and I guess he probably just wanted to let his fans know, like, hey, listen, this ain't on me type situation. So I think what happens, though, a lot of times in business and especially like in the music business is that a lot of things go on in the background that people's managers or they're like tour managers or whatever be handling and they be placing blame and they don't want to always take the full blame. So they make it seem like somebody else. Like and sometimes it be miscommunications and stuff don't come directly from the artist, but they come from their team and their team trying to save face. So, you know, we don't know all the full details. We don't know all the whole story or anything like that. But what I will say is miss Anita Baker, I'm going to need you to get a better PR person because you shouldn't have to be doing this type of stuff. On, she should. She like, really should. At, at this point, you should have a tight ship. You is too much of a legend to be going online, doing stuff and saying stuff like this. Now, I, I, I have heard them stories too about needing not being the nicest and not easiest to work with. And I can't, you know, obviously, again, I, I can't even say that's true all the way because stuff be going on behind scenes a lot of times. But it don't look better when you come out the gate swinging like this <laughs> like you are a legend you are an icon you should have a whole team that handles things like this so that it's like information is given out in a professional concise manner and we can move on we could we could seem professional we could you throwing that jazz talking about he don't like beyonce it's so, like you know what that's gonna do to that's people. why i was like is she that's why i really thought she was hacked because i'm like this is just first of all i wouldn't have ever expected anita baker to actually be tweeting like I don't know. It's certain people who I feel like just not, they not, they run, they don't run their own socials. You know what I mean? Like, and she's somebody who I would have expected to not. So that's why I was like, this just don't seem right. And I guess it's still a possibility that maybe someone on her team was doing it. I don't know. 
but it's, it wasn't a good look. <laughs> yeah, I just have, like, so two thoughts. So either, let's say hypothetically it was really her tweeting, right? If it was if it was her actually tweeting, that tells me either, one, you don't have a PR team, and I wonder why you don't, or two, you have a PR team, but they can't tell you what to do. You do what you want to mm-hmm. do anyway, mm-hmm. which would then almost, I would say give us a little bit of evidence that maybe she is difficult to work with, Correct. right? Because if you had a PR team, there's no reason why a woman of her caliber and, her, and a woman like Tori said, who's been in the game as long as she has to be tweeting that way. So that's what that tells me mm-hmm. there. Um, if she was really tweeting, if she was not really tweeting, which I find that hard to believe that somebody w- with the PR would be like tweeting said, like that. Misspellings and grammar issues like that. Yeah. But if it maybe it was a family member though. <laughs> but um Could be. if she if she um if she if she, if her PR if she if it was somebody tweeting for her, she did fire her. But as of now, the tweets are still there. She didn't even delete them. So and this has been what five days now. So clearly she's staying by it and she's like, I'm I said what I'm saying. Yeah, I don't think she has a team. I don't I don't yeah. think she has a team. <laughs> Because it, it's just unprofessional. Even like like you said, mentioning other artists and stuff. That's just some somebody that's not involved. Like that's just unprofessional. It's unprofessional. So, well, speaking of um, miscommunications and disconnects, I saw this this good old Twitter Twitter drama the other day, and um, I wanted to get your guys' opinion on it because I, I, I saw mixed opinions, but so this this guy, I don't even know who he is, a random person, he's not famous or anything. He tweeted, um, women are delusional, and then he posted two screenshots, and the first screenshot was from a text thread, and um, it's between him and the young lady that he was talking to, and so I'll just, I'll read it. He basically says, and I'll give you the times because it kind of matters. Um, but he said, oh, you know, my day's finna free up in a bit. You want to grab a drink? She says, where do you have in mind? He said, oh, there's this place around the corner. Um, just let me know. And, or yeah, she said, oh, he names the place. And then he says, um, but if you only drink at certain places, like if you, she wants to go somewhere specific, let, let me know. And she said, oh, no, that's fine. We can go there. Um and so he says, cool, my homegirl owns it. We can chill out. He wants to smoke in there, whatever. And she says, bet, let me know if, let me know you, let me know if you go and I can pull up. And that was at 7, 12 p.m. He responds back at 7, 14, cool, meet me there at 8. She responds at 7, 30, bet. And then there's no more responses from him after that. Um, so she says, bet at 7, 30 to meet him there at 8. Then she, he says nothing. She responds. Uh, reply. Well, no, it's a reply, but she sends to him again at eight thirty p.m. Are you there? He does not respond, and then her last text is at um nine oh seven, and she says, "Well, I I hope you had a good night. Enjoy your night." Um, and then the next screenshot is a post from um their Instagram DM. So apparently, I guess they had moved on from texting, and they were in the Instagram DMs, and then it appears to be that there's some time had passed between these two interactions. So um, he he cuts off what he said to her first, which I think is interesting. But the first thing we see is from her. And it says, last time we were supposed to chill, you stood me up. Never again. He says, LMAO, what? You stood me up. Stop. And she was like, I was there, LOL. Texted you, waited, and there was no reply. So I left. He said, ma'am, we agreed to meet at 8. At 8.20, I left. 
You texted me at 830 and asked if I was there. No heads up if you're running late or anything. I took the hint and went home. You got it, though. And she said, well, you could have said something. I was on a call outside for a few before I even hit you up. But you got it, sir. Lesson learned that 20-minute grace period of no warning. And so he was basically saying um, that she was delusional for telling him that you you could have sent a text before you left. Um, and he was saying she could have did the same thing. And it was just this miscommunication. So I, I wanted to get your guys' opinion about, um, I guess, like, how do you handle these types of situations? How long should you wait? Was he... was he only waited 20 minutes and he was out. Was he wrong? Was she was she delusional for expecting him to still be there at 8.30? I mean, what do you think? You know what? I'm going to put this on the girl who was late. I'm sorry. I feel like it's common courtesy. If you know that you're running late to say call or even text, hey, um, you know, I'm just, I'm running like 10, 15 minutes behind, but I'm coming. I'm on my way. Like, to me, that signifies that you respect that person's time. You do want to see them and you let them know, hey, I am coming. I'm on my way. Now, if he chose to be like, I'm not staying or I'm not waiting because you late. I mean, I guess that's his choice. But at least you could say I gave the courtesy because we did say let's meet at eight. Then that at least give the courtesy that you're running behind. I've done this before. I've communicated and I've stayed in constant communication, especially if I knew I planned something with someone. If I'm running late, Hey, I'm five minutes behind. I'm 10 minutes behind. I'm on my way just so that they know I'm coming, but to do absolutely silent, don't y'all agree upon a time. And then you time come and go. And you don't even say nothing to that person until you get there yourself 30 minutes late and being like, well, where you at or something like that? Like, no, that's, that's not okay. We need to bring back common courtesy. We need to bring back politeness. If I'm running late and we agree to a time, especially for a date, let somebody know something. Speak up. I'm looking at this from various perspectives. I've been I've been in both situations before in my life. <laughs> so let me start with him. If I get a text at say at seven thirty bed, meaning I'm gonna meet you at eight o'clock, right? I get there at eight o'clock. Typically, what I do is I will text where I'm located in the restaurant. So I'll say something like, hey, uh, I just got here, um, you know, on the bar, on the other side of the bar. Or, hey, I'm in the back room, wherever I am. I just kind of do that because, you know, if you're at a big place or whatever the case may be, they might not know where you are. So I always do that. So if, so usually when you do that, if the person is running late, they'll say, oh, okay, I'm five minutes out, I'm 10 minutes out, I'm 15 minutes out type of thing. So I feel like also if I was – so that's what I would have done. In the event I did not do that and 20 minutes go by and the person's not there yet, I guess I also feel like I would have had a drink by my damn self or I would have got me a little snack or something. Like, I done got, I done got dressed. I came already out here. So are you really about to leave after 20 minutes? Like, I feel like I would have at least ordered myself and, and with the place you wanted to go to. It wasn't as if it was like a place she invited you. This is your homegirl spot. You said you mm-hmm. smoke there. So I feel like, okay, then smoke your stuff, order you a drink, and just chill, and then go home. That's how I look at it. Um, on her end, in the times I have ran, been running late, I communicate that I'm running late. Um, I 100% will say, hey, traffic is worse than I thought, or, you know, I'm 10 minutes out, I'm 15 minutes out, I'm so, I apologize, and then I get there. So I think they both kind of wrong. 
it makes me feel like he was looking for a reason to be upset. I mean, 20 minutes ain't that long. It's, it's I, really, thought it was 30, I thought it was 30 minutes. Oh, it, was 30. it was 20. He left after 20. She were, she didn't text him. She didn't say anything to him until 8.30, but he had left at 8.20. He only waited 20 minutes. So he... Okay, so I, I think I had seen this, this, this thread on Twitter too. Did mm-hmm. you see the part where he said that... Um, uh, she said she was there after 20 minutes, but he was there and he said he, she never came. He, she wasn't there. Yes. Um, he did, he did say that in a thread. I mean, I don't have no way of knowing if that is true or not, but that's what he claimed. Um, and I don't know if she was there or not either. Um, I guess my thing is, <sighs> I understand what, what you're saying about having constant communication, but I think if I'm planning to meet somebody and we just planned at seven 30 to meet at eight, I don't need that much confirmation because we just talked about it. Mm-hmm. It would be one thing if it was like, Oh, let's meet at eight on Friday and it's Monday. Okay, then I'm going to follow up because some time has passed. Things might have changed. But I don't think it was, uh, I think it was a little bit extra for him to be like, you know, want to leave after 20 minutes when we just decided we were going to meet. I think she could have said something to him too about it. But I also think um, it was weird that he didn't respond back to her. Yeah. So if it's, it's like, okay, you had a problem with her being late. And she asked you if you were there at 830. You just didn't, you didn't say anything. You just ghosted her. So it's like, to me, for him to be incredulous, like, well, you ghosted me. You stood me up. And she was like, well, you stopped texting me. We had plans. I was running late. I said, are you there at 830? And you never responded to me. Clearly, you didn't get ghosted. You ghosted me. And clearly, at some point, he reached out again. So that's why I right. feel like, I feel like, mm, were you looking for a reason? Is something that was come up instead? Like, something, cause I just feel like, yeah, she texted you twice. She texted for 830 and again at 907. And then at some point, you reached out. I guess I'm, I don't know how much time went by between these messages. But at some point later on, either the night or the weeks later or days later, you reached out again. So, I don't know. Something about him. Well, that's the part where I would say he wrong at. Like, like, first of all, I don't think it warrants you being all that bit out of shape over 30 minutes. If that person didn't respond, I okay. I don't think it's that it warrants that being that bit out of shape. Okay, we had this miscommunication. Next time we can handle this better. But to be all extra about it, that's the part where it's kind of like cringy. Like, uh, you, 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 y'all both might have some issues. I feel like it's no, it's no smoke for you to just say, hey, maybe that time I'm rushing, I'm running late, I'm on my way though. But also it's not it won't hurt you to be like, give her some grace too. You know what I mean? You don't have to be so dramatic and be like, I'm leaving. I'm going, you know, whatever. And then like, you know, go argue back and forth about a days later. So I feel like they're both probably a little petty, <laughs> but I don't see gonna, that. Um, it warrants that. I, like, I don't see it. Warrants. Like I said, it wasn't that long. I guess I look at all my friends be late all the time. So it's just like I wouldn't have friends if I was blowing up and getting. At, you know what I'm saying? I would like if I was every time somebody every time I was late. Was late. <laughs> but you, but you know how it feels. Sometimes that's annoying. So for some people, that's a big thing to them. Being on time, valuing their time. For some people, it's a little bit more important for for us for us than for others. No, so, I don't get my friends wrong times now. <laughs> right, right. But then there's other people who feel like I I don't feel like they don't want to deal with that. That's a boundary that they set with for whatever they you know. Whoever they want to interact with, that's the boundary. I mean, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that's just, you know, everybody got their boundaries. All right. So uh, speaking of boundaries, y'all, I just want to share with y'all this other tweet that I saw on social media last week. And there's uh, so many things to take away from this. But I, this every time these situations come, I kind of just 
it just irks my jerk. So basically this lady tweets out her name on Twitter is Kelly for the number four humanity. And basically she says today, my teenager daughter, my teenager's new boyfriend, my husband and the young man's mom had an introduction meeting. My husband told the young man, you can call me, sir. I have four guns. My daughter's chastity is important and you will have to see me if you do anything to disturb that. So then she goes on to say, thank God I married an old soul. He also told the kid he can get dunked on anytime. Basketball reference. Then she goes on to say, we may look like fun, cool parents, but we are pretty traditional. The new age parenting is strange and frankly needs to stop. So this started a lot of Twitter debates because some people are like, oh, you know, if that was my son, he would never go over your house again. He would not be with your daughter. Like, why do y'all think it's okay to have these, you know, men threaten these young boys over stuff? Like, you know, what if, what if the mother of that young man threatened your daughter in the same manner? Like they were just kind of saying this is stupid parenting, like just going back and forth in regards to why they don't think this is okay. Uh, I think there may have been a few people that agree, but for the most part, people were like kind of upset about this and, um, you know, disagreeing with this method of, I, I don't know if you're trying to scare the child or into not having sex with your daughter or whatever. Um, so first off, how would you respond if your child went to their significant other's home and their parent basically said, you know, hey, I got four guns, try it? Not well. Um, I would not respond well to that. First of all, I think that um, I wouldn't allow my child to be with a runner person anymore. Um I just feel like it's wrong to be trying to threaten violence against some teenage kids. Like, these are kids. Like, you're doing the most. And I'm surprised that the mama stood for it. And maybe that's just maybe that's just me being soft. I don't know. But um, I would have a problem with that. I, I saw the thread and I got off of it because it was irritating my spirit. Correct me if I'm wrong. The boy didn't have a father that was there. It was his mom, right? Correct. I wonder if he would have did that if it was if the if he knew that that young man had a mom and a dad that was active. Like you know what I mean. Like I'm mean, not. I don't want to make assumption that the dad is mm-hmm. not ap- ap- um, active, but what, when it, the way it was described, at least, it was that it was just a mom, a mom that was there. Um, no, you can't go around threatening people's kids, and I also feel like at some point the conversation when you talk to your teenagers about sex. Is about safety and about like, and when I mean safety, I'm not mean just like physical safety, but emotional safety as well. But the idea that you can control when your daughter does this is just crazy to me. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I've worked with teenagers for 15 years, and I'm gonna say something controversial. And I've worked all over the United States, so I'll make this very clear. You don't always have to be worried about the boys. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's the girls. Like when okay. you talk, like when you have that rough conversation with, um, you bet I touch my daughter, don't do this to my daughter. It be sometimes also girls who are the ones who are talking their boyfriends into having sex as teenagers mm-hmm. or talking. So mm-hmm. it's like, or this idea that it's always the boy you got to worry about, quote unquote, mm-hmm. or it's always the boy. Mm, if you really spend some time with some teenagers and work with some kids, you'll learn that it's just a part of a 
it's just a part of the, who they are as teens. Biology. <laughs> and so yeah. it's, I know situations of plenty of, I've had conversations with my students. I've seen things with my students where I know for a fact that, you know, on um, this particular situation, the girl, she was, you know, in this way, it might be <laughs> yeah. the boy who was more aggressive, but you can tell. So I just feel like, mm, we got to kind of get out of that. And you might have did that to the wrong one. And it would have been, been, been a huge issue. Right. And just... I was just going to say, too, just going off of that, I think it's this obsession that some people have over their daughter's bodies is so weird to me and gross. Like, your daughter, you, your, your, my daughter's chastity is important to me. That is so weird. Why? Like, your daughter's a human being. You don't own her. You don't own her body. And I feel like it's this age of, like... um like the, the whole purity culture of like, well, you need to be pure and don't, it's just weird and it's strange. And I feel like you just need to raise your daughter to make good choices, raise your sons to make good choices, make sure that they're around the right kind of people. And I'm not, think I don't think it's wrong for, you know, the parents to have a conversation with the child that their daughter or daughter or son is seeing. But I think when, it's, when you start talking like that, it's just giving really weird. It's just giving really weird. Yeah. And I mean, I think to that point, I'm just like, at what point do you say you as a parent instill everything that you needed to do in your child for them to make the right decisions and not try to threaten another child when it's not just that other person's decision? Like if your child chooses to have sex, that is the choice that they're making. So at what point do you say I as a parent raise my child to make the best decisions and not put pressure on the other partner as if it's going to be their fault and their downfall if your child decides to have sex with them? Because, so, okay, I'm sorry. Okay. I want to say because we honestly, I'm a, we live in a society where and that women are made to feel that they are not supposed to like and enjoy sex and desire sex, whereas boys are made to feel they're supposed to be hypersexual. And so because of it, that's why I feel like it's this fear of it all, of let me um, perpetuate that by saying something like my daughter's chastity is very important to me. I want to make sure she fits into that mode of pure, virginal, pious, not doing anything. And in the rea- and the reality is that women and teens, teenage girls, just like teenage boys, and men and women are sexual. And what you want to teach your children is how to process and deal with these feelings in a safe way, in a productive way, in a way that is not detrimental, in a way that won't harm them emotionally, mentally, and physically. That's what you want to do. But because you're so afraid of it, and you don't want to have these really tough conversations, you put unrealistic unrealistic expectations upon your teenagers. And in essence, you're not really then providing them with the tools they need to mm-hmm. make healthy sexual decisions. And I feel like that is a and I I feel like that's a, something that we've experienced, at least in our um well, I'm not gonna say speak on for y'all. I experience in terms of just us growing up in the church and I I don't think there's anything wrong with abstinence. And I think that if you can do it, it's great. And you should, if you can, if you can, but if (laughs) you got to also learn, um, from your parents, people you trust, how to appropriately deal with these feelings. And you can't pretend they're not fair. And a lot of parents, not even just in the church, I should have said that. I think just across the board, just parents, because they're so uncomfortable with it. They don't know how to have those conversations with their children. And so you leave them misinformed or uninformed, honestly, honestly. And that is, we got to get out of that. We have to do better. 
Yeah. I mean, and like that goes back to, again, the parenting and you and what you do and still with your children. So then, okay. So she goes on and says, because a lot of people was giving her backlash Mm -hmm. and her and her husband. She goes on to say, first, most of the weirdos on this post have a problem with how we parent. They probably don't have teen girls. Again, why does it matter if it's a teen girl boy? But okay, we're going to put that. Okay. Second, y'all scream, where are the black fathers? This is what a strong black man looks like. Finally, for those questioning, what if the boy's dad was there, blah, 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 blah. She puts, you know, obviously use critical reading skills. There was, it, was, it was a kid's mom there. So then she says, my daughter likely won't be with this kid forever, but my husband will leave the imprint of male leadership on his life because this is what we do. So, and then she goes on to say his mother thanked us for the, for the strong reception or whatever, blah, 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 blah. But my thing is this, how do you think your husband threatening him (laughs) is going to lead, leave a serious, uh, or imprint of male leadership on the boy's life? So you're telling me that a grown man threatening me, talking about he has guns, me as a teenager, I'm going to see his male leadership because he threatened me with guns. And so you're telling me that he's not supposed to internalize that situation as to think that in return, he should grow up and be violent and be threatening towards people. And that's going to show that he is a male in leadership. I mean, cause that's how I was saying, that's what you say. Yeah. You literally threaten a child. You talk about these guns, but you're then flip it to say, Oh, this is what a black father is a black man. in the father's life is supposed to do. That means that showing him that I can threaten you and try to scare you with my scare tactics and with my gun, that I'm this big, bad person and I'm this leader. And so when he go out in the street or whatever he go and he, and he reacts in violence or he responds in violence or he has or he threatening or using guns or whatever, that is the imprint he learned from this man threatening him when he literally was just going over to meet his girlfriend's parents. It's the hubris and the self-importance for me. I mean, you really you really think you this that big and bad. That's just going to be... I mean, he might remember for the rest of his life and it might not be for a good reason. He's going to be like, yeah, I think that girl has my parents is freaking crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I just think it's such an oxymoron. Like, you try to sit here and act like you're doing such a good thing, but your very actions, like mm-hmm. I said, were, were, were violent. And then, so, then she goes on to tweet, because obviously this has been something days and days and days. She goes on to say, okay, well, let's have a talk. What are your methods for keeping children safe? You know, one in three experience abuse in teen relationships and over 50% of girls are suicidal. Again, focusing on the girls. Um, Then she's saying about the kids being missing and trafficking and all these different things. What are your methods? So you mean to tell me that your husband threatening her teenage daughter's boyfriend (laughs) because he might supposedly uh, break her chastity... (laughs) that's safe for him it's safe for you to threaten this child with your guns i hated that i saw that and i i, I it was the complaint of the issues for me you bringing up all kind of other stuff that don't have nothing to do with the conversation at hand you talking about sex trafficking and suicidal teenagers that don't have nothing to do with you showing a gun to a teenage boy that's trying to take your girlfriend to the movie or take your daughter to the movies what does that have that's not where's the where's the correlation honey i, I don't see it and he and he specifically said my daughter's chastity is important. Yeah. He didn't say nothing about her safety as far as physical safety, emotional safety, 
uh, he said her chastity. So now you're trying to flip it to make it seem like why said all these other issues you're conflating. But in that first tweet that you sent out, you said it was her chastity. It was important is what her, the dad mentioned, not physical, emotional safety or anything of that nature. And that's up to her. That's not up to that boy. At the right. end of the day, like her, that is 100% up to her. Physical her. safety. That's up to her mm-hmm. um, and whoever else she dates. But at the end of the day, you got to stop making decisions on and raising your kids with fear because they're going to have sex. I mean, but no, that's at because some point, your child yeah, is going to grow up and they're going to have sex. Your son is going to have sex. So why not provide them with the tools, like I said earlier? And not mm-hmm. work through this fear, this fear piece. Because now your daughter gonna do it behind your back, and now mm-hmm. she gonna possibly put herself at risk for other situations and things because now she's mm-hmm. probably afraid of you finding out or being disappointing you in some kind of way. Space. She's right. not, not safe space. Or, she, or she'll bring the good boy home that she gonna go on dates with in the movies with that she, you know, don't do nothing with him. But then it's another boy I don't even know about <laughs> that she's messing around with on the real real. You know what I'm saying? Like all that's doing is creating secrecy. It's it's not an open environment for she can come and talk to you about those things that she might be going through, you know, because of your overreaction or your your um perpetual, you know, dominance. Like, it, what if she is having a problem with a boy and she worried about her dad? Oh, go, go, go shoot him up and go to jail. You know what I mean? Like, it's a whole, a whole host of other issues that could be going on here that is just not being addressed with this. Yeah. So, in that same vein of issues not being addressed properly, uh, BC Plus has a show called College Hill Celebrity Edition and they're on season two and on the season two of the show, um, well, let me backtrack a little bit. So the concept is you take celebrities, you put them at HBCU. I believe they go for about four weeks and then they get a certificate of completion, like a certificate in like liberal arts or liberal studies or something like that. And cameras follow them, a lot, follow them around. They live, all live together. And so in this particular season, season two, we have Amber Rose, Jocelyn Hernandez, Iman Schumpert, Parker Posey. There is Quay. I don't know his last name, but Quay. And then there is uh, Tiffany Pollard, New York. Am I missing anybody? I think that's it. Orion. Orion, I'm sorry. Yes, and it's Orion. Um, You said Ray J, too. And Ray J. I'm sorry. Orion and Ray J. They all live together, and they are at um, Alabama State University uh, for four weeks, okay? And one of the things... I've been watching the season since last season um, when it was a different cast, but one of the things that kind of has continually came up this particular season is blackness and um just the struggles that what what black americans have gone through in this country some of the strides that we have made some of the progress we have made um in this country and um parker and amber are biracial and they when it's time to have conversations about the civil rights movement and um jim crow and some of the injustice injustices that occurred during that time they both talk about always being uncomfortable because they are biracial. So, um, this particular episode, these last two episodes went, were, went viral because there was a lot of heat bet- around uh, this fight that happened between Amber and um, Jocelyn. So, they're in class and they're talking about your uh, racial mountain that you had to climb. I forgot the specific term that was used, but it was like, what racial mountain have you had to experience in your life? And Amber Rose goes on to talk about how basically she didn't fit in in white spaces. She didn't fit in in black spaces. And Jocelyn is kind of like, in her mind, 
well, just be black. Like, don't try to fit in the white spaces. Um, you're a black woman. And Amber's offended by being called a black woman because she's, well, I'm not just a black woman. My dad's white. And um, they get heated in their conversations. Um, at one point, the professor is trying to get Jocelyn to stop talking because she's like, you know, I'm from Puerto Rico. I'm a black Hispanic. I've always embraced the fact that I was a black woman. She was like, I'm just a black woman that happens to speak Spanish. Um, she, she, just, she just was proud of being a black woman. And she's like, I just don't understand why, you know, Amber, you don't, you, you act like you don't want to be black. And at some point she gets frustrated. She says, look, the, the point is, just to keep it real, you just want to be white. And Amber Rose gets upset. She gets up. And you think she's about to walk out the classroom, and it appears that she's she swings on Jocelyn. They both get into a fight at in class. BT Plus did not show the fight. Now I will say they teased the season with commercials of this blow up. Like they would show us the argument, and they would show them get up as if they were fighting, and then and, and which is what you expect to see in a commercial or a teaser. So everybody thought. Okay, when we watch BT Plus, we're going to see actually what happened, and they don't show what happened. They put up a black screen, and they explain that they don't condone violence, BT Plus, uh, Alabama State University. And so in an effort to not show that violence, they're not, they're not showing it on the show. And then we get the aftermath, and to make a long story short, the aftermath is that they both are expelled from the program. However, Jocelyn is uh, crying visibly upset because she wants to stay. She has 100s in all her classes, and she feels like she was just defending herself because Amber Rose threw the first punch. On social media, you have a lot of folks who feel like they they should not have um, expelled Jocelyn, and others felt like Jocelyn provoked it, and because she provoked it, she should have been expelled as well. So we watched this episode together. Uh, I don't think Tori and Wise watched the actual season, but we watched these last two episodes together. So what were your initial thoughts and opinions about what you saw? Well, you know what? I, first of all, I'm mad at BT Plus because they didn't show the fight. <laughs> Let's be clear. I like to see a little drama from time to time. No, <laughs> no but um, I think that um, the overarching picture for me is the fact that they make these reality shows and it's like people who have never had the college experience are put in these settings and they don't know how to act or handle themselves. So one thing about in college and you have different courses and studies and things like that, they even have debate classes and things like that. You have conversations like this is where you learn. This is where you critically think. This is where you hear other opinions and you might learn, you know, from other people. You might even sway of your mind. It depends, you know, on the situation. All in all, I feel like I'm more so upset at the fact that as a grown woman, Y'all just couldn't have the discussion. Even if it did get heated and you yell back and forth, just had an argument, yell, had a discussion. Why did we have to get to the physical? Like, why can't we just talk it through so we can maybe come to some kind of understanding? And maybe you won't come to understanding. But to be a grown woman such as Amber Rose in Jocelyn's age, I think Amber Rose is probably older, um, 
I feel like she got frustrated because she couldn't argue her point. So instead of trying to talk further, she just wanted to fight. And it was like, I can't figure out how to say it or articulate my thoughts. So I'm just going to go fight. <laughs> like, I'm just so mad. I'm, I'm so upset. Mm-hmm. This is what I'm going to, to, to go to. And I really think Jocelyn, I don't think she was really trying to fight her, even though we know that Jocelyn is a fighter. We know that about her. I think she was really just trying to get a point across and talk, you know, to, to get her to say some, something, like get her to recognize something. Um, granted, everybody might not agree with her and her, you know, choice of words or the way she decided to talk to Amber Rose. I'm not saying that's always, that was all correct or whatever either. I just wish they could have had the conversation a little bit in a better, um, maybe in a way to where that they could try to hear each other out. Maybe if the teacher could have like tried to break it down further or like try to like get it to where it lives a little even playing field. But obviously Amber had already been irritated about some other things that happened with Jocelyn already. So I think that just compounded her anger. Um, I, I just feel like, again, I just, overall, I just felt that I wish they could have talked it out. They could have talked it out or just argued it out. And um, overall, I think Amber was just mad that she couldn't she couldn't articulate the way that Jocelyn was able to speak her mind. I think Amber couldn't speak her mind the way she wanted to or she could articulate it. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that's the challenge is when you when you put reality stars in these types of situations where they're supposed to be having like intellectual debate <laughs> um, because, you know, when you were when you come up on a reality show, most of the time that's that's what this is about. You have an argument, disagreement, usually about something not as um, serious or as personal as this, um, and you you argue until you don't feel like arguing more. Somebody throw a drink, somebody swing, somebody throw a purse, and then y'all fight. And I think this setting is is not that. So I think that's why. Um, it was a challenge for them. You know what I mean? I, I will agree that, um, you know, college is, they're, they're in the setting to have these kind of conversations. Jocelyn was definitely being, I think she was being verbally aggressive. I think she was, you know, being very um, argumentative in a way and, and getting her point across. And I think she was taking personal jobs instead of like arg- taking a jab at the argument that they, they were having. Although I largely do agree with what she was saying. Um, but you're right. Yeah. Amber just couldn't, she didn't know how to have that kind of conversation. And so she went to the physical. So, I mean, they both kind of contributed to the situation and I definitely understand why, um, they didn't, they were no longer allowed to continue the program because I feel like, you know, first of all, this is being broadcast. You're at an HBCU. It's supposed to be like a historical situation where, you know, our ancestors fought for us to have these these safe spaces to you know get our education and whatnot so i I understand that there's a certain level of respect that you're supposed to have to these you know spaces and institutions it's unfortunate um like i agree i just i do wish they could have had the conversation because i I do think there's something to be said there in the conversation um you know somebody had mentioned on twitter and they were talking about it and i was like damn this is so true um, because, you know, like you said, Amber was saying that she didn't know how to fit in either spaces and she didn't know what she always felt like an outsider in both spaces. And somebody brought up like, you know, I wonder if people who have that experience, biracial people who have that experience, do they ever, you know, when they're in company of the the white side of them, they're, if they're in community, if they're ever in conversation or in community with the white side of them, them their experience, if they ever have that same conversation of like, you know, I don't always fit in over here. And how can your space be more accustomed to people who are also part black? 
Um, and I was like, man, that's interesting because we always hear it on our end, but I'm, you know, we don't know if those conversations are ever really had on the other end. So um, I think there was a lot to be discussed and learned from, from that conversation. And it's unfortunate that it ended the way that it did because I feel like the conversation kind of just got dropped. Yeah, especially afterwards. Afterward, they had um, an author come in and they started having a conversation about colorism and things of that nature. And it, it really would have been a conversation that the two of them could benefit from. One thing I found... Um, I don't know if it was surprising, but I just thought I should make note of is that I was reading some of the comments and there were people who went to HBCUs and they were saying that that it's true that their HBCUs had this zero tolerance policy. And like there are people who say like, yeah, I got kicked out of so-and-so because mm-hmm. I got into a fight or somebody attacked me and I fought back. And they both like basically how come you both get expelled if somebody put their hands on you? And even though in the professor said, hey, that Amber put the first through the first punch and Everybody saw that Amber threw the first punch. How is it fair? What are you supposed to do if I'm sitting down and someone's up on t- standing over me and they start to punch me, that I get expelled as well because I start to punch back or defend myself? And I think that is a rough and, well, a tough conversation that probably needs to be had. And, like, how is that really fair, right? Like that Because that, there needs to be some nuance in that. Yeah. Um, I do think that Jocelyn probably could have been suspended because the professor didn't ask her to stop talking and she mm-hmm. looked at the professor and said, no, professor. <laughs> and she, said, no, she said, no, professor. And she kept going. So the professor did try to de-escalate the situation and um, Jocelyn wasn't having it. So she probably could have got a little bit of suspension. Um, but it goes to show you, like, the people who, I guess what I found surprising is the number of people who felt like Amber was right for putting her hands on Jocelyn because she didn't like what she said. And that bothers me so much because that is not a reality we live in. If I'm an attorney and I'm just getting beat by the opposing attorney and they arguing better, I can't put my hands on him or her because mm-hmm. I don't like what they're saying. When I go into work and we have staff meetings and department meetings and parent meetings, we, they get heated sometimes, and people sometimes people get emotional, but you can't put your hands on somebody because you don't like what they say. And I feel like we live in a society where people feel like there needs to, there, that one, there's no shame. We got rid of shame. You can't shame anybody anymore. And two, nobody has to change who they are or change who they're being in a workspace or in a school space. Every, we're all supposed to just accept everything and everybody. And I feel like mm, that can really get dangerous. I understand why those, there are people who have those thoughts about, oh, I'm not, you know, I'm not changing who I am. I'm going to be me. But you got to kind of be careful about that because being you might make you go to jail. And being you mm-hmm. might make you lose your job. And being you might make you, if you're not really self-aware, might make you not get promotions. So... If you know that you have a tendency to be angry or you know you have a tendency to talk to people crazy, you might not want to be doing that in those board meetings at work, right? Like, that's that's just my advice. Do what you want to do. Yeah. But, um, but I feel like that was surprising to me, though. Just a number of people who couldn't look at the situation with nuance, again, right? You look at the situation because mm-hmm. you don't like Jocelyn. And I, okay, fine. She doesn't have the best reputation on social media, so you don't like her. So you automatically side with Amber, and it's like, in reality, you cannot just put your hands on someone because you don't like what they say. And piggybacking off of that, you very well have to be careful because you have to realize that most 
people, black people don't get the same grace when it comes to even if you do decide to put your hands on somebody and the consequences of that. And so it's like you moving as a black person out here thinking you could just walk around, you know, you, you know, we're going to, you're not going to get the same reprimand as somebody else. And we see that all the time. You see how people, the black people who might have shot somebody, or even if it was like a stand your ground or a self-defense thing, how they got to go to jail first. They got to go through all these things first, but let somebody else do it. They at home chilling, you know, because you know, their, their self-defense is seen as, you know, oh, it had to be. It was, you know, we don't got to do no further investigation first. So it's like you, you got you must be careful about when you have to decide to put your hands on somebody or whatever because, for whatever reason, because you may not get the same grace as the next person. And I think that I think, and and I and, I, and I've professed on the show before that I have a long, long-standing history of reality TV. I've been watching it for a long time, but I think some people do have difficulty um, with conflict resolution because of what they see on reality TV and what's being exposed. And not even just reality TV, even just like the world in general, like, you know, where a couple, like last month or so, we was getting all those stories about people getting shot for knocking on somebody's door or turning around in somebody's driveway and they getting shot at. And it's like, yo, everybody needs to just calm down. (laughs) Like, you just need to calm down. It's it's not that serious. And I don't think in a situation I couldn't imagine myself being, I couldn't have had, I mean, I'm looking back on my college experience in, in undergrad and damn sure grad school, I couldn't imagine getting in no fight in no class. Like, I just can't. <laughs> I just, or, or a fight breaking out and somebody else getting into a fight. Like, that would, that's a lot. Like, it's a lot. And I think we just gotta, uh, I don't know, tap into reality, grow up a little bit. We, we are not, in a, on a reality show, this is not Backgrounds Club. Like, you can't go around just fighting people all the time. Like, come on. Exactly. All right, that wraps up our first do- dose. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. All right, we are back with our second dose, keeping it real for a minute. Um, uh, There was a lot kind of in my mind, I guess I should say, about just uh, what to kind of bring to the forefront this week. And I I, I kind of want to pin everything down to one um, simple concept. Um, Paulo Coelho is a author, and um, there's a quote that's attributed to him. I'm not really sure if he actually um, originated this particular quote, but the Google said he did. It says, um, if it costs your peace, it's too expensive. If it costs your peace, it's too expensive. Well, what is peace? Well, peace is freedom from disturbance. It's tranquility. And it got me to thinking that peace, at least in my life, is almost like a state of mind, a state of being. Like, I don't think of peace as like this for me, one solitary moment. I think peace, when I'm in a when I'm in a, a state of peace, it is ongoing. It is habitual. It is something that it's just something that I experience and I feel on a consistent basis. And then I start to think about the things that may disturb my peace. And what I realized is that what I've been doing kind of subconsciously here lately that I would say this last year to two years or so is really I have been 
letting go of things that could potentially disturb my peace. And in doing that, I have not really, I try my best not to allow small little things bother me or um, upset me. There was a time in my life where, you know, something could happen and now I'm having a bad day. And that one solitary moment could make me have a bad day. And I just felt like I was given too much power to that. And I felt like that was very draining, if you will. And so when I tell you now, I don't argue with people. I don't be caring. Like stuff, I I just, I literally don't allow small things, little things to really uh, ruffle my feathers, if you will. Um, Now, what that does mean is sometimes I disengage. So it's a lady at my job who's just mean. She is rude. And I had three, I gave her three chances. And after that third interaction, I've decided I'm done with the lady. It ain't going to stress me out. But when I'm going to walk right on past her, I'm not going to speak. It's not going to bother me no type of way. But I'm letting all that go. I'm not holding on to that. But the old Wesley, it would have bothered me that she was so rude and that she was rude to me. And it would have, I would, and I would think about what, what could I do to make her not be that way anymore. And now I don't care. And how I know I'm there, like how I know that I'm in a better place with the whole peace thing is this week I had gone to work and it was Thursday and um, Tori and Wise were coming down Thursday and I went to work that morning. We had a thunderstorm Wednesday. And I'm getting up, I'm, I'm coming home and I'm um, opening up my windows and I look in my backyard and I see a bunch of tree branches in my backyard. I have a nice sized yard. So then I look further and I see that one of my neighbor's trees fell in my yard and fell over my fence and broke my, broke my fence. That happened. I was upset for a moment. When I say a moment, like maybe 10 minutes. <laughs> and after that, I moved on from it. Uh, now, that's not even something small. That's big enough to disturb somebody's peace, right? But I didn't let it really impact me. And I think Tori and Wise could agree that it's not something I've, like, I haven't been different this weekend or sad and value this weekend or talking about it excessively this weekend. It's something that happens. It's going to get taken care of. And that's just that. And so my hope for you all, all the listeners, my hope for my siblings, my family, is that you can kind of get to a place in your life where you don't allow small things, medium things, trivial things to um, impact your peace because that peace is a state of being. It's ongoing and um, it's a very uncomfortable place to be in when you can go work a whole day and come home and still not have peace in your life. So find peace. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with our triple dose. All right, we are back for our triple dose, our this or that segment, closing out segment. And this week, I thought we would do something a little bit different. Today is Father's Day, the day we celebrate the fathers and the father figures in our lives. And um, they did this cute little thing at church today where they gave the new newest, youngest father the newest father, these little gifts, and I thought it was nice. So maybe we could do something a little bit for the fathers today. So 
the first thing I wanted to just something a little fun, a little lighthearted. Um, let's let's talk about TV and movie dads real quick. Let's just talk about who are some of your favorites um, that you enjoy watching. Who is a TV dad that you would have liked to grow up in his house? And who is a TV dad that you would not have liked to grow up in his house? So let's start with this. Let's start with some favorites. Who's some of your favorites? TV movie fathers. Okay. I feel like my favorites will also be the ones I want to live with. Mm-hmm. And I, it's going to be controversial, but I'm going to keep it real. Can I, can I have two favorites? <laughs> I mean, yeah, do whatever you want. So my two favorites are... <laughs> so bad. Heathcliff Hustable. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and um, Uncle Philip Banks are my two favorites. Mm-hmm. Do I need to explain why? Yeah. Okay. I mean, what would so, you Okay. So this is what I love about... Well, it's kind of the same. What I love about Heathcliff, Dr. Hustable. Um, I feel like he was practical. And I feel like when you watch the show... Um, his style of punishing or not punishing, but disciplining the children and like getting them to learn was one of the, I would say, most healthiest we've maybe have seen before. Um, or at least I'll say I, I've seen before. Um, I'm sure there's others. Maybe I just haven't watched those shows. But just the way in which he and his wife worked together with the family. Uh, supported each other, supported their kids, loved their kids. I just think that um, they did a beautiful job with the character. With Uncle Phil, <laughs> Uncle Phil had that bag, and he wasn't stingy with the bag. I mean, the way <laughs> I mean, the way the way Hillary used to dress, and like Hillary was grown, and you know, still using her daddy credit card, and nothing. <laughs> and I just like that aspect of Uncle Phil. I mean, Uncle Phil also was very. Um, uh, practical as well too don't get me wrong and mm-hmm. um, not really problematic but I do like the fact that it seems like Uncle Phil he was very much so lenient with the credit cards that you know and the cars the kids get to drive and the clothes they had you know it'd be nice to have a rich daddy mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so we can do our favorites okay so <laughs> favorites I kind of I was kind of in agreement with the Uncle Phil comment. And I think I think with him, again, he was he was level-headed. He had his times and his moments where he had to be stern and he would put down the fist when he had to. But then I could see that he also was like, okay, but I'm gonna show y'all a different side of life. Mm-hmm. Like, cause I knew I I did, I've been there, did that. So I won't want y'all to have to experience everything I had experienced. Like, you know, y'all obviously need another tax bracket. So he's like gonna introduce you to other stuff, like the country clubs and the whatever. And like you said, he wasn't stingy. With the wallet, One time okay? Hillary came home and said, Daddy, I need three hundred dollars. He said, What's up? <laughs> she said, I need a hat. I'm like, <laughs> And this is in the nineties, so three hundred dollars now, three hundred dollars. I mean, in the nineties for a hat, I love it. Right, <laughs> but he also like you know he pushed them to do things, mm-hmm. do better and stuff. So I can appreciate that. And then my other, um, <laughs> this is gonna be a little bit different, but my other, I would say like one of my favorites that is, I'm just gonna have to go with pops. Off of <laughs> oh yeah, I love pops. Yeah, pops. You know, I think that you know he was, you know, pops off the Martin the Wayans and stuff like that you know obviously 
he was like lighthearted, funny, but he would have his little gems. He would teach he, lessons. He would. <laughs> you know, so he had, and, and I'm even saying that in his role on Marlon, on the weigh-ins, Marlon, Sean Wayans, all the other weigh-ins, but also his role in Friday, like the, the series, because he was, he, fight really with did, he got, he really did steal some gems. And, you know, he, he, he ain't play that either or whatever. So, I mean, I think that would be, would be I think it would be fun too. Like with him, it'd be, it'd be fun. Um, so yeah, I guess I would say those will be like my favorites. Okay, okay. There's a little crossover here. So my I have two favorites. <clears throat> Let's I'm gonna start with, you know, Philip Banks. That was that was my favorites as well. <laughs> okay. uh, yes, I need to be living in a lap of luxury in Bel Air, okay? <laughs> I need to go to Bel Air Prep, I need to drive a Porsche. Right. Like in that episode <laughs> when Hillary and Carlton was arguing about how to pronounce Porsche. That's where that's what I want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but also what I really liked about Uncle Phil. Even in the in the new, um, I don't know if anybody watches the new Bel Air on Peacock, which I watch is also very good. Uh, but this is also true for the original Uncle Phil. He went to bat for those kids. Like if it was a situation where they needed to be defended or they might have did something wrong, but somebody else had some influence, like they defended their kids. They went up for their kids. Yeah. So I feel like that would be cool to have, like, you know, somebody that really got your back. If you went to buying, you can call Uncle Phil and he's gonna take care of it. You know what I'm saying? So that is mm-hmm. that's that's I can appreciate that. The second dad, and this one is a little bit controversial, but I feel like this dad does not get enough credit for what he did. Okay. Floyd Henderson. Is that controversial? Oh, smart guy. It's not controversial. I feel like he's underappreciated. Oh, okay. That's what I'm saying. Like oh, yeah. he does not get the props that he deserves. He was a single father. He had three kids. Well, he kind of had four because Mo was always there. You know, he took him in. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I just feel like he always, he always ascended like some good, he has some good words and some good gems as a father as well. So Mm -hmm. those would be my two favorites. He didn't have all the money and stuff, but he had his own business, I think, right? Didn't he have like a contracting company or something? Yeah. So that's, those are my two favorites. So, okay. So let's talk about the ones that you don't. Two ones that you was like, you don't want to live with. (laughs) <laughs> that you could they was doing too much they was getting on your nerve who, who? To, or no well, i have to but anyone that you could think of that you like no i can't Mm-mm. so <laughs> I, I i i don't think i can live with frank mitchell so frank how can i say that? okay Hmm. He was trying to shame you. He was trying to make you feel bad for the yeah, decision that you made. I don't, I don't think Frank was inherently a bad dad. Mm-mm. Okay, he was, I don't think he was a bad. Well, yeah, and he needed a lot of improvement. I don't think he was a bad dad, right? He, I don't think. I think he had some ways that could traumatize his children sometimes, you know, or cause some emotional uh, distress. <laughs> now, this is where I get tricky with me because Frank mentioned for Moesha. Moesha was on some bullshit though. Sometimes she was. So like, right, like, right. I, she was. I tried. Like I wanted Moesha, to be all Frank, uh... but Moesha also was not. <laughs> but I look back as an adult because when he bought her that car, and she was like, "I don't want to drive a Saturn. It was a brand new Saturn." She yeah, she was tripping. She was really, really tripping. She and like, even like, okay, you get in a tattoo, you get in your piercing, you doing all these things. Like Frank Mitchell still gave Moesha whatever she wanted. Like you still have a good fa- a father, a good a, like mm-hmm. he. You know, and so I, I get why he was frustrated with her, but so it makes it hard for me to say this, but also it was just like sometimes I just felt like he would act like 
what she was doing was the end of the world or like she was like it wasn't normal yeah, teenage behavior and a lot of it was right. kind of normal teenage it behavior was. um and like his, you gonna mess your whole life up throw your whole future away like yeah. dang she it's just like, went to the den after school yeah like, she went to the den like come on <laughs> calm down like you know where frank messed up was where he brought dorian in it's like dude where was you at all these years you got a whole other son yeah, that was that I, he knew you, he knew that, you, now, that's true. that you knew it was your son yeah, yeah. <sighs> And you said the one I don't want to live with or don't like. Just don't like, period. Yeah, or same uh, thing. I mean, well, you would... I don't dislike this father, but I just wouldn't want to live with this particular father. And that's James Evans. Because. That was mine. Okay, because. And even just the projects, it was just like they just they struggled too much. It was no, like I got could, something to say about that. He never could get the head above water. And it was just so <laughs> but frustrating. It, it wasn't always his fault. It because wasn't. they would they would get stuff, they would have opportunities in Florida. The mama, she was trying to have this good moral high ground. It was like, no, James, we can't do this. No, James, we can't do that. Keeping them in the projects when he was trying to do for his family sometimes. So I feel like yeah. all of that wasn't his fault. <laughs> but that's mine. Well, he should have been a leader then. I'm sorry. <laughs> no. They say happy wife, happy life. That's what they say. Well, no, because y'all still in the projects. Where did that get you? Where did it get you, Florida? Where did it get you? No. But uh, that was literally my pick. I saw, yes, I was going to say Frank Mitchell as well. Um, and um, and James. And like, for, when it comes to James, it's just like, first of all, it was just the overall lifestyle. Like what he said, it's like, I can't, you, you, you can't ever get ahead. Never. And I'm like, at some point you F what Florida said, I'm sorry. <laughs> you got to stand up. You the man, you, you can take this family to the next level. Then let's do it. Like, I'm sorry. Like, get on. They still had uh, good times. That was the point. They did, but. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, well, I guess. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'm trying to think who else was someone I wouldn't care to be. Hmm. I don't know if I ever see somebody, anybody was bad or who I wouldn't want to live. I'm trying to think of um, other little shows or movies. I don't. I don't know. I guess, but those were my picks for real. I was gonna say Frank and and James Evans. So I guess I can't think of nobody else. So I have two. So my um. Was Frank as well? He was just doing too much sometimes. My other one, I don't. This one, I don't think was a bad dad at all. And I probably could live with him because I was not, a, I didn't do anything. But um, Michael Kyle from My Wife and Kids. I couldn't, I, if I did do something, he was so, he was, the way he was disciplined or trying to make a point, he was so extreme. Yeah, he he was, was very childish. He was very goofy. Yeah. And that shit would have got on my nerves. Yeah. <laughs> like that would have got on my nerves. I can't do it with him now. He would make like stupid rules. Like I just I couldn't deal with him. Okay, mm-hmm. but I feel like if I was myself, like I probably would have been okay because I like I said I didn't really do anything. But like he was just so extra all the time. I couldn't. Yeah, I could couldn't be that. Michael Scott. <laughs> couldn't be Michael Scott. Mm-hmm. What? Oh, did you have another one? Oh, I was gonna say another honorable mention who uh, don't always get a lot of. Um, shine as Carl Winslow, I would say. I mean, he wasn't, you know, he didn't give too much, uh, I would say, like, he wasn't too, I don't see harsh or whatever, anything like that. I think he was pretty even kill. He was just most annoyed with Urkel. <laughs> but I think overall, you know, he tried to do his best to do, 
take care of his family, you know, protect the kids mm-hmm. and stuff go down, you know. So, you know, he's another honorable mention. He was a pretty good, you know. He was. He was. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't take about- my black card, but Family Matters is not my favorite. So that didn't even, I, I, didn't <laughs> I wouldn't want to live with them. <laughs> uh-uh. What did you think of, what do y'all think about, I don't know if Wise watched this show, but what do you think about Dan Connor? Uh, That's from Roseanne? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a huge Roseanne fan, so I can't speak too much on. I didn't watch it a lot. I mean, I've seen episodes okay. here and there, but I wasn't. A what group, about, I wasn't a huge Roseanne fan. It was cool, I think, from what I remember. But I mean, I didn't see it the uh-huh. wrong, but I just I wasn't. That wasn't. My I thought like I'd be more annoyed with Roseanne. <laughs> I wouldn't want to live with Al Bundy. <laughs> oh my gosh, no, I can't do Al Bundy, no, Mm-mm. no. Uh-uh. What was the third category? That was it. Oh, just this, the last thing was just if you guys wanted to share any oh. funny stories or anecdotes or memories about our dad growing up with him. I guess I'll start. I got one thing I wanted to share. I have this memory. So my, I have this memory of when we lived in uh, Toledo in our first house that I was born into, the first house that I remember. And um, we drove a blue van, right? And I remember distinctively always, and whenever I would get in the van, I would look in the glove compartment and look under the seats for snack cakes because daddy will always hide his snack cakes in the car and, you know, not keep them in the house. And I feel like that's probably where we got our sweet tooth stuff from, you know, but he was hiding the snacks from us. So every time I would get in the car, I would just be looking like a crack fiend, trying to find trying to find a little Debbie zebra cakes in a car. Because he was trying to hide them all the time. Well, I was trying to hide the snack cakes. It's a shame. <laughs> That's a shame, but it's funny because I do have a snack story. Like, <laughs> so I'll share. Like, just okay. So I think our dad was always a always always a hard worker, still to this day. And when we when it was in our first home, why is, you weren't born yet? Um, a lot of times he would work, you know, twenty four hour shifts at his job. So then he would, you know, have to come home, sleep for a while, you know, rest, recruit, and everything like that. <laughs> So I believe there was one particular day where I think he had worked and then I want to say, I don't know if this was the same day, but he, it might've been the same day. It might've been different. He works, but then he, I think he had got some teeth, something drum on his teeth too as well. So he was knocked out, you know, and that wasn't <laughs> uncommon for, you know, when daddy get off work, he'd be knocked out for a little bit. We'd be at home chilling, you know, whatever. We was pretty self-sufficient, Wesley and I. When we was growing up. So we just do our own thing. We play, you know, outside, indoors, whatever. Da, da, da. But I just remembering, like, we wanted some donuts or some, something, <laughs> some sweets or something. And we was just like, you know, well, let's just go ask dad, you know, why he sleep. Because, you know, he gonna say yes. So, like, he has sleep. He don't know, but just, he just wants you to leave him alone. Right. Go to the room. Like, dad, can we get some donuts? And go, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So we just go and get the donuts and get whatever sweets and stuff. So I, I mean, that was just one of the um, as a small child, one of my um, one of my little memories. And then I guess I'll share like one of the things that sticks with me. One of his um, talks or words of advice, whatever you want to call it, sticks with me. Is like uh, I think it probably had to do with when I was in high school or junior high and child when we used to have to get help with our homework. There was, it was a struggle sometimes Ooh, because sure was. my dad would be trying to tell us how to do stuff. I'm like, this is not the way we learned it. We did not do this. Like, I can't get this. I don't understand this or whatever. And so, like, I think, I don't know if I, I was probably struggling with something math or something that I, 
And I just remember him talking about like how he was like, you should never want to be mediocre. That was all I was gonna say. Don't bring yep. Oh, yep. <laughs> really? I was like, he, he just he would just say, like, you should never want to be mediocre. So I was t- talking about our studies and all that and stuff at school and just bringing home good grades and just saying how we shouldn't shoot for just to be a mediocre mediocrity and things. And so I'll be so every now and then I always think about that and how I'm like, well, we, sh- you know, I don't want to shoot for mediocre. Like, you know, I want the best of the best. I should try to be the best of the best and just don't, you know, I don't want to mediocre. I don't want to. Yeah, I, I don't know what happened because it was a conversation to have both. It was us being lectured by that. And I don't know what preceded this. I don't know if it was grades or if it was like the housework because we used me and Tori to get into it because <sighs> it's a long story, but dad had a situation going on where. We would first we did kitchen days. We we're like, okay, Tori, like every other day. So I would do Monday, she would do Tuesday, I would do Wednesday, she would do Thursday, and vice versa. But then, like, sometimes somebody would skip a day. So then it's like, well, Tori didn't do it yesterday. So then she got to do it the next day, too. Then he said, well, forget it. Y'all going to do weeks. So then y'all going to have week one, week two. And I think on top <laughs> of that, it was, you know, the house chores and the, like I said, this, our schoolwork. And we didn't get bad grades. Maybe we was getting too many C's or B's. I don't know. And I remember it felt like it was like hours and hours of him going off about <laughs> not being mediocre. Um, but I do, that does, I always do remind myself or that does stick with me, that particular lecture of like, you know, when I make decisions or um, not being mediocre. And even sometimes with my students, um, when I lecture them about what I'm seeing with their work, <laughs> I will pull from that, like what I saw in these essays were very mediocre and I know you can do better. And I, you know, disheartened that you didn't do better. So I kind of uh, pulled from that. Another, I guess, childhood one that I remember um, kind of similar to what Tori was saying, where dad worked a lot. And so a lot of my memories of him when I was younger was him working and, or sleeping. <laughs> and um, like Tori said, he would work at 24. And then sometimes he would work um, a part-time. So he was a, a, um, he would do the 24-hour shift and then work at the hospital part-time as well. I guess saving to get us out of the house, get us to a new house. And um, one day it was summertime. He was asleep. We was riding bikes. Now, we lived in an area that wasn't the best at the time, and we were not allowed to leave our street. So we literally had to ride our bike up and down our street. But our street was very small. So our street only had... What, eight houses? Six? It wasn't that many, like, all along the street. Yeah. So that's all we could do. So our next-door neighbor and then the, the lady next door to him had grandkids. And so we were all on our bikes. And we, and all of us, none of us was allowed to work, leave the street. None of us. <laughs> so we called ourselves, you know what, we're going to spin the block, okay? We're going to get on our bicycle. We're going to go around the block. And on where our street was, there was a busy street. So we were right on a busy street, going along. And we did that multiple times that day, maybe three or four times, and we was just cool. So here we come on our bikes, and we ride it, and we see Miss Betsy on her porch. I'm like, oh, shoot. Then we look, <laughs> and we, we see Miss Sarah on her porch. <laughs> then we see Daddy on our porch. We're like, what happened? How we all get caught? And all of them looked at us at the same, at the time. same time. And they all looked at us and said, get in the house. So all three of us, all three of us, all three of us had to go. It was more than three of us. But all of us ended up having to go to our respective houses because we did not follow the rules and um, ride our bikes on our eight house street. <laughs> and that's what I always remember, remember that. <laughs> Yeah, so I just wanted to take a minute to, you know, reminisce a little bit the fathers today. 
Um, so that is going to wrap up this week's episode of the Triple Dose Podcast. Make sure you follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Instagram and Twitter at Triple Dose Pod. Share us with your peeps. Let us know what you think about the show. Share us and we will see you guys next time. Peace. One love. Bye, y'all.